Hello everyone and welcome to the Art Artist Business. My name is Jessica Rorchik and I am here with my dearest friend, Rhys Noy. Uh, Rhys is a British actor and he's been known for playing many, many roles on uh, BBC school drama Grange Hill. He was uh, also known as uh, his incredible role of Masador on the HBO series Game of Thrones. Um, recently, Rhys has also starred in the 2019 Emmy-nominated Netflix show When They See Us and I meant honest the credits go on and on and on but I just want to talk to you because that's why you're here <laughs> um thank you so much for coming on the show thanks for having me you're welcome um I I'm gonna get straight to it because we were just having a bit of a discussion about it but uh as you know I kick off every show by asking um you know who are the three people that you would have at a dinner table and um, dead or alive that you can discuss art artist business with and then as a further advancement who would be two people that you would take to your little after party and and why why is the big thing because i think why gives so much insight into people and their creativity so yeah i'm so interested to hear this <laughs> so I, I have just quickly thought about this so i may actually text you and change my mind but <laughs> this is what's going down anyway um so my three for my dinner guests, my first guest is going to be James Baldwin. Oh. Um, because I just think he's wonderful. I think everything he's written is wonderful. I think his mind was wonderful. Um, and I just think he was able to sort of speak across a number of different issues um, that, that all had intersections but long before that, those inter intersections were ever acknowledged. So he was a black queer man um, and kind of exiled himself to Paris, I believe. But he wrote basically, I mean, amongst many other like great pieces of literature, um, particularly regarding race, he wrote my favorite book, which is Giovanni's Room, oh, okay. um, which is about two men that fall in love. Um, and I got given, I got a, a gift. I got, it got given to me as a gift on, the end of a job and it was like a, it was a really intense job and I was I was really quite sad when the job um started I was I was sad throughout the job I'd been sad for a long time and it was during that job that I decided something needed to change but anyway to one of the other actors on the job I'd had like a really sort of um throwaway conversation about um reading and me in my state of mind I was like oh I don't you know I don't read fiction anymore like I, you know it just doesn't do it for me and it's funny because I never really understood how much she listened to me or like how engaged she was with me. Because I, I was so sort of closed off mm. that I saw, I imagined that everybody else was at that time, even though I knew beyond that it wasn't the case, but in that time. Anyway, long story short, um, on rap, she gave me this copy of Giovanni's Room and she said, I know you said you don't love fiction, but I think you'll really love this. Um, and I've never, ever been so, t I've never been gifted something that I was like, wow, she knew me better than I knew myself. Yeah. Especially because I'm not someone that's easy to understand. I'm a Gemini. Um, <laughs> and people often comment on how, they, how much they struggle to sort of get a grasp on who I am or they think they have and then I, something changes. So it was really, it, it meant a lot. Um, and anyway, I got it and it was a crazy night and I lost so many, I lost loads of my possessions that night. It's the last night I ever drank, actually. Um, but the one thing that I had the next morning when I woke up was the copy of this book. And I was like, the universe wanted me to read it. 
So I went away. I, went, I, t- I took a trip. My friend had a place in Dea in Mallorca, which is beautiful. If you haven't been, you should go. Um, and I, t- I grabbed this book on the way out. Again, it was so uh, without even thinking. Um, this is a really long story. No, I love it. No, this is great. <laughs> this is great. Do not uh, do not shift this at all. Um, I'm engaged. <laughs> so I grabbed this book on the way out. And I'm like, oh, that'll do. You know, something to read. This is what we do when we go away. We read. And um, I read it in about two days and I saved the last, I think it was like the last 15 pages for about three weeks. Cause I was like, I can't bear to let these people go. Um, wow. And I, it, it was exactly the right time. It was the perfect book. It was everything aligned that I needed to read that at that point. Cause what it did was it made me go, Oh my, this is what love is. And this is what I've been lacking for the last five years. Like I, I thought I was, I was broken and actually I just I haven't allowed anyone, anyone to love me. Um, and that book sort of reminded me of how important it was to let somebody love you, even if it didn't end very well. Mm. Um, so I savored it, I savored it and it's, it changed my life. And when I came back from that trip, I, I said to my friend, I need, I need somebody to love and they don't need to love me. And my friend was like, don't be ridiculous. And I said, no, 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 I just need somebody to love. I just need to know that I'm still capable of loving. And then I can think about like what comes after that. And I did, and uh, yeah, so basically that, James Baldwin, and amongst, you know, he's got a whole catalogue of um, other books, but that one particularly for me. And then when I found it, you know, obviously knowing that it was written by a black queer man, and like that resonated even more, just, um, so Jane, and um, I mean, you can watch, I mean, he's, he started to um, be shared a lot recently, obviously with the current movement, the current Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. Um, a lot of his, his, his speeches, his, you know, his comments, his phrases, his, his thoughts on, on race relations um have, have been starting to like resurface so you, you've probably seen a lot of him around recently because he's he's so he was so smart um and and yeah brilliant just a brilliant mind so that's why i'd have james baldwin there <laughs> no i mean like after hearing that story i'd like to have james yeah. baldwin no i just i think that that's a that's so prevalent like there's so many i love when you can have a story that that sparks so much in you that it's a, it's a shift. Like it's a change in who you are. It's almost, and it's almost like chemical, Yeah. you know what I mean? Where you are like, I didn't know that I needed that. Yeah. And then that just literally changed my life. I, I really resonate with that. Yeah. That's how I feel about Brienne Brown. I spoke about Brienne Brown in mine, but when she told me about the power of vulnerability and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I have so much of it, but I was just always been afraid to show it. So it's like when I've been, engaging in her stuff i didn't know i needed it so much i didn't know so i really resonate with that i really resonate with just having somebody reach out to you in a way that you weren't expecting and say something that just shifts you so it's like somebody giving you a medicine when you're not you're not even aware that you're sick yet yes yes and that's what that book that's what that that did for me and then it made me see that actor and i was like wow i just i feel like i really took that 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 relationship for granted um Mm. But, you know, it was a period of life where I was I was learning. I just didn't know it yet. So that's James. Um, and then my other guest would be Lauren Hill. Ah. Now, this I'm curious. This is interesting. Yes, talk. Because I don't know that there's any album that has been written like The Miss Education. Um, and it's one, and Lauren's writing is, I think a lot of artists are great writers, um, but very few of them are able to sort of um, like capture you for different decades of your life. 
and especially with the same songs. And of course, we all have our nostalgia. I love this because, you know, because it makes you feel about what you felt at that time. Mm-hmm. But very few albums you go back and go, oh, oh, wow, this hits different. This feels different now, but, but it still hits. You can go back and relive because that's often what we do, don't you know? We have mm-hmm. songs that we love, and it's because it reminds us of that day. It's the, the mm-hmm. nostalgia. It's that like, ah, oh, it's all fuzzy and it's warm, and it's like I remember I, I felt safe then because I knew the outcome. But her, you go back, and I love as well. Um, Unplugged, the Unplugged album is one mm. of my favorite albums. Um, but you go back, and I mean, I've gone, I've revisited some of them, like you know, six, seven years apart, and now I'm like, oh, wow. And there's one song in particular that the first time, I mean, I played that album out. I think I had three copies of that album, The Miseducation. And just three years ago, I had a breakup and tell him suddenly, I was like, I've never heard this before. And I was like, oh yeah, I've, it's, on the, it's on the album. But I just never heard it like that. Well, it, it, it struck a different chord again. It, it's... Compl- I'd grown, I changed. So I now understood things that then had, over, had gone over my head. So that song was never like an important song for me on that album, it was there. But I never really, I never really like took it in. I never, I just, it was like, eh. and then you know, life happens and you go back to it, and it's, and I'm anyway, to be able to write like that and have music that is so um, timeless and 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 continues to remain relevant, I think is is a special gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also a Gemini, ah. no bias, but. <laughs> Um, I just think she's got she's also got a wonderful mind and um, and she's one of the only people there's very few people I've met her and I think there's three or four people in my whole life that have rendered me speechless and she was one of them wow Um, yeah I do know it's funny it's it's not it's just it's funny hearing your point of view as to why you like people because we actually we're very different people, mm-hmm. but our points of view as to why are kind of similar. Yeah. Because I Madonna is mine, and it's really funny. I watched um, Truth or Dare, like her documentary recently, which was actually when I was younger. I didn't. I lived on this documentary. Like I mean, I'm talking young, like nine, ten, eleven. I would, and I didn't under. I don't think I even understood what she was doing or what she represented or what her lyrics represented. But even the other night I, um, I was watching, I was watching it and the Oh father song came on and just listening to her lyrics. And obviously, and you know, as you get older, different things happen in your life and your relationships with your parents is we're talking about a different and you work different things out about yourself. And I don't know, I started to cry when I heard the song and I was like, Oh my gosh, that just hit me in a different way. Um, but I also feel like with her, the same thing, I think while she had so much representation for so many important messages, and I think she really did, she's also super intelligent. And I think that people forget that about her and in order for her to be the artist that she wanted to become, which I think Lawrence, they just kind of put themselves in their own world and were willing to do that for the sake of the art, which I found really, really interesting. So like I say, completely different people, but just that same essence that you can hear music and be like, you know. I, I, I think across like? the board, great art remains important. And I think, I think we were, especially now in a time like now where everything is so transient and we are bombarded with stimuli, like it's like everywhere. Yeah. It's harder to find it, but it's still there. But I mean, like I just thought then as we were talking, this randomly came into my head because I've watched it three times. There's a show called The Leftovers. Yes. 
And that show is, I, I've never watched a TV show three times over, except that. Um, and it's similar, and it's something about an emotional complexity, like a humanity, like an honesty, um, that's sort of laced, really laced and like layered into the script. And in, in the you know, with, Laura, with the album, into the lyrics, into the music, um, that can hit you differently. And you, and when you've lived some more, you go back and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. uh, oh, uh, that, wow, that's visceral. Um, and it's just so nuanced. And I just think it, I, that, so yeah, I mean, The Leftovers is something that I've revisited. And I'm so not, I really struggle to revisit. Once I'm done with, once I've gotten what I've gotten from something, I'm like, okay, move on. So it's really rare. I mean, I don't think that there's, there's very few TV shows that I've watched over. Um, but the leftovers was one of them, and that that has a similar feeling where it's like it go I go back and it's like a different a different show each time I've I've gone back. See, yeah, see that that that's super interesting to me because I am so nostalgic. Like I will, you know, it drives my partner nuts, but I'll, I'll go for the movie I've seen like five hundred times because. Well, well, yes, but it it's still like like because I had one of my third people was um and I'm I'm gonna get to your third in a second because I'm curious but it was John Hughes okay yeah because just because I made the joke but I still believe it right that you know I'm still coming of age like so for me when I watch his films I feel like I'm still reliving this part of my childhood I don't really know that I ever really tapped into do you know what I mean yeah. I knew. I knew I was going through stages of self-discovery, but I was such an adult as a child that I don't really, I think I kind of missed that growing up period. I just kind of, all of a sudden life happened to me and then all of, I had to be an adult as a child. Yeah. That was just kind of how it went. And now that I'm an adult and I revisit these movies, I don't know, they remind me of that child that is in me. And I really love that. That is something so comforting and yes you're probably right see I, I don't really do nostalgia i really nostalgia for me feels very dangerous interesting i just i i, I understand why it's why it's a thing yes i think it, you know we do it to survive we, we, ro we romanticize our past yeah in order to keep going because otherwise we wouldn't you know <laughs> we'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd be all stuck in the house well as if we were in lockdown yeah i know um <laughs> But I, like you, I kind of relinquished my childhood. Mm. I never bought into child, like childhood. And I just thought it was, I was like, oh yeah, let me at it. Let me at, <laughs> let me at the world. Um, and there have been like brief periods of my life where I've regretted that. Yeah. But for the most part, I feel really grateful that I grew up quickly. Um, I don't know that I missed much. I, don't, I mean, perhaps I did. Maybe I just never, I've never noticed that I've missed it. Um, but yeah, like I also sort of like bypassed childhood and was like, this isn't for me. Um, so the, so kids films, I was always like, this is so stupid. Like those, those, you know, holiday films was always like, oh, this isn't real. I was, I was cynical as a child. I was, mm. I was not even cynical cause that feels too harsh, but I, I was aware of the world already. Interesting. And I knew that that wasn't it. That was, that didn't represent the world. See, and this is really interesting because I would say that I was so aware of the world that what I loved about being in there was this self-discovery that that I didn't, I don't think I really got to experience, and I, that's what I, that's what I love. Yeah, like I want to go on an adventure, take me outside of my reality. Yeah, which is super interesting. Um, 
Okay, get me to your third one. This is super. I love this. I love this. This is such a Okay, so my creative... third guest is um, Tennessee Williams. <gasps> and I'm sure him and James might get into it a little bit. But, um, well, who knows? They might get on great. But he's another writer that I just... Yeah. I've, and I didn't really... I knew of him. Like, I thought if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, 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 I know Tennessee Williams. But I didn't know of him until, like, now I've really read his stuff. Um, and also, you know, performed in one of his productions. Well, not his, he wasn't there, of course, but um, but I did a, a production of a Tennessee Williams production. Um, I remember three, I remember three weeks in, and this sounds so like indulgent and actor like, <laughs> no, but I just remember crying and like two weeks of rehearsal, just sobbing every day and going, This is so intense, this is this is so painful, this play, and so like so beautiful as well but just mm. so so layered and mm-hmm. i just i never really appreciated that before mm-hmm. and how how intricate they were and how complex um and i just thought he was someone who was wonderful and also obviously struggled with his own brilliance i think and um but i just feel like i've not necessarily had the same um connections to his work that I have with Lauren and James Baldwin. But I've, I've definitely, oh, I don't know, actually. I've definitely seen productions that have left me reeling. Um, and obviously I had that, but it feels different, but it's, there's a different reason that I want him there. I, I think I think he would be an interesting dinner guest. I think it's, it's more superficial, the reason. You know, it's, it's less about like, um, like a soul connection. It's more about, I just think he'd be an interesting guest. To have it. No, oh, I um, I love what you say about. I mean, Tennessee definitely, but I I think playwrights in general. I mean, we've been talking a little bit about this, but just the the depth and the three dimensional characters that are written is just kind of incredible. I mean, I think if I was going to shift anyone, or if I was going to find a playwright to to add in, I don't know who I'd tap out yet, but um, I would love to. I would love to talk to William Shakespeare, who I kind of think was a little bit similar you know what i mean like wrote incredible stuff that i don't even think he knew the depth of what he was writing really like well it's like i you know i talk about shakespeare i talked about him recently with somebody and said you know love it or hate like because you know there's a lot of people that are like yeah it doesn't do it for me and like honestly i don't love shakespeare um but i'd be ridiculous to suggest that almost all of our story arcs don't aren't based on you know shakespeare mm-hmm. um all of our like current story arcs um or like plot line, you know, yeah. everything is sort of like very loosely, it's from a template of, um, and even like soap, everything is like soap operas, like they all sort of stem from, um, but yeah, you do, you kind of go, you, I wonder about the time he realised. I know. I know. I have to look. It's really. I, I actually find it's a really interesting point because, I, like I said, playwrights are something different because they've really, the way that they create a character is from such a different space. I feel like then, and it, not saying that I don't think great writers in the modern day can't do that because we've certainly seen it done more, like many a time. But there's just something really, like, um, captivating about a character that's been written in that sense because it's been created entirely 
you know what I mean? With, with like almost like a, like a, I would want to say like a three dimensional point of view because you want to physically see them because that's how we were communicating stories back then. You know, we yeah, didn't well, have. I, I feel like play, um, playwrights are, are, are pro- I mean, this is probably a bit contrary, but it's it's closer, I would say, to writing a novel. It's yes, you have to create a whole world. Yes. Whereas if you're writing for TV, you do kind of create the world, don't but it's it's. Well, you've got the choices, world, don't you? The world is already kind of there. Well, this is the thing. You can choose to write about the world and the characters within the world, or you can choose to write about the characters and relationships and where they are is kind of, it can be relevant or not relevant. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is, a, it makes it different. Whereas in a play, their surroundings... I suppose it's where you get to be more poetic in theatre. Yes. You give them more licence to be... That doesn't you know wouldn't translate on TV, mm-hmm. or seldom translates. So you are in a, in a sense you're restricted into what people will buy on TV, and I think that obviously shapes the way that you write then for TV. One hundred percent. Whereas you know, in I mean, like you could, it's really hard to get away with like a page and a half monologue on TV, but in, on stage. Sat there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And, the and, are and the, <laughs> you're not getting out. But no, but also it's that incredible experience of being in there and watching an actor actually for that page and a half. Actually, just really like you forget you're sitting in an audience for a moment, and then yeah. you're like, oh, oh, wait, I'm actually here. I'm in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. That's really freaking powerful, you I know. I know it it awakens something in you, doesn't it? When you start talking about it, this is what I've been finding recently. Even before the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm really getting, feel, I'm like getting an urge to be on stage. Also, because there's that fear then that you know you're going to end up getting to the point where you're afraid of it. Well, it is, and it is, it is different. I, I, um, I think I started re- reinvigorating my love for theatre when I did after I did Larry Moss's masterclass, who mm. is honestly one of the most incredible teachers, and I would suggest if you ever do like get a chance to work with him do just but we did lungs and I um, mean I was shook <laughs> for a good while doing that play yeah. I I had no idea that play was going to affect me so much I was going to identify with it so much I was gonna um feel so moved and embrace and and like I said you're standing up there and the classes were quite big and just the ability to 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 feel that space again was something very very different uh my cat um that i'm currently cat sitting wants to be a part of our podcast today which is you know (laughs) what they say um but no okay so now in terms of who you would like to um have at your after party you said you had a couple so i'm curious about this because this is a different thing so this is where i say you can kind of let your freak flag Fly. You guys can put on some music. Talk till three a.m. So for my after party, I mean I'm sober, so obviously I'd, I mean, but still, I, I still saying that I, I'm still known to go out until five a.m. Yeah, of course. When we're not absolutely. Um, so my first one would be Che Guevara, and that is because I don't know. I just feel like it would be a good party <laughs> he was also a gemini oh it's so I'm a funny obsessed with gemini's as i know i was gonna say it's so funny how you like yeah you 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 
got a couple of Gemini's that you're drawn to. So I will, you know, I do it with before I even like him. I was always drawn to him, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's just because it's like that cliche. You know, you see people with t-shirts, and before I even fully was aware of who he was and what he'd done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, maybe it's just because it's like Mark. You know, he's been sold. He's, he's on t-shirts, and people who don't even know who he really is. It's like. Um, but it was an energetic thing. And this is what happened. I can walk into a room, honestly. I love this. I've yep. done this many times. I've walked into a room and been like, who is that? In a room of people. And I'll be like, they're a Gemini. And my friend's like, stop being ridiculous. You know, find out two, three hours later, a week later, they are. A Gemini? Yeah. That is so interesting. But I, I'm not, I can't do that with all other. It's only because I think I'm a Gemini as well. And. Like that you can like connection. sort of you you yeah. have that instant fear yeah but we're gemini's so my point being aside from all the all the great sort of things that you did i think pers- like person in terms of like personality i think we'd, we'd be great mm-hmm. um and he's a gemini so i think we'd have you know an extra that one person actually counts for like five people um at the after party well, that's fair. That's yeah. fair because there'd be a lot going. So they would just be, you just have like. No, no. And then I'd also, I just, <laughs> and then my other one is alive, and that is Leon Bridges. Oh. Yeah. And I don't know much about Leon as a person, but I think that when we got a little weary, he could sing to us. Nice. Okay. And I'd happily have him sing to me all night. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's, That's a, no metaphor. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just, no, but yes. I mean, like with a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> mm, well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know whether he's, he's, he's like into partying or whatever. No, but, but even, but this is what I was saying to people. I mean, I said this in the, in the first one too. I think it's not so much. Um, cause I even made the joke and it is like, cause both of mine, like I said, were, you know, they're both, um, sober as well. They yeah. both were drug addicts and alcoholics, which is Drew Barrymore and Robert Downey Jr. I love Drew Barrymore. I know, I know, but they, I still feel like they haven't lost their fun. Do you know what I mean? I just, I feel but like this, this is the, this this is the great big misconception is that you need, need alcohol that, to be fun. And I always said like point. I was far less fun when I drank. And, and this was the funny thing. This is exactly why I bring this up because I think that this is a, like a super, super, super important part of understanding um, and, and making the point that I said that when you have that party and that after party, and I did say have a drink or whatever, but then I was also like, but that doesn't mean, you know, exactly like we're talking about now. You just can't talk till three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, because anyone that just lets you, or, you know, or dance, you know, sometimes you just have a couple of people over and you just, you're dancing to whatever hours and it's just, you're thriving off just that energy. That is just as powerful. I just liked the idea of looking at creativity from two different perspectives. And I really love your responses because I think it really kind of, it feels that same thing for me where I said like, you know, one level creativity is something really deep, and in te- like intellectual and um, there's like a journey of vulnerability and self-discovery and it's, you just, you want to be, you know, really engaged for the entire experience. You know, it's really sobering and you kind of want to soak it all up. But then on the other hand, creativity is so freeing and you just want to kind of let loose in it and, and lose your mind a little bit in it wherever it goes. And I think that just that 
idea of having that balance of both to create something for me, I find really, really powerful. And that's why I ask both the questions because I think it gives us freedom to have both sides of a personality. I don't believe we can have all that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, I really like the fact that I can get into a, you know, that I can be silly and I can be young. It's like I said, that's what I like as a storyteller. That's where I, um, get drawn in by those films, those adventure films. That's why I love watching the coming of ages. It's for me, it takes me into that world. And I think, Oh, wouldn't that be so fun to step out of that, to step into that space. Um, so it's that inner child, like quality, I guess. And, and that was my world though. So even though, even though I was living this adult life, that was really significant for me growing up because like I was on my own quite a lot and I used to rent, Oh my God, I used to rent up something like 10 movies a week and I'd go across to the video store and I would like literally um, walk by myself to the video store, come back with all these movies and I would just watch them all week in my room. I would do that and I would make my own movies. So I would like film myself doing video smash hits was a, was a big one too. So I'd put on like Madonna, there we go. And I'd like mime and dance around my lounge room on my own. These were things that I did. So I lived in these bubbles, but that's what fueled me. It's what kind of got me through. It was my say, it was just my salvation. So, um, so I find that really, really powerful. So yeah, no, and that's really, really interesting too, that you were sort of delving into, I love that where you were going with playwrights. I think that this is really sort of important, um, in like in just, I think the development too, because I think we've been talking a lot about it with the, with the, um, with the students, but it's also trying to get the people to understand that, you know, that I think theater is such a, exactly like reading novels. And as you were talking about, I just, I think it's such a great way to stimulate your imagination on a different, on a different level, yeah. you know, than watching television does all the time. Like you just, you actually have to kind of take your brain there rather than actually visually being brought into it, which I think is such a different experience what's your thoughts on that well i think as well you know like the thing with television is it's a lot of it is very formulaic this it's really rare that we get something that really stretches our um like break that pushes boundaries on tv there's a handful or maybe a, a couple more of like um like types of format or style you know um and then they do them over and over again. Mm -hmm. And they have, you know, periods of like these trends, isn't there? You know, there's certain, there's certain like narratives that sell for 10 years or whatever. Um, and I don't think, you, I don't think you have those, those boundaries on, on novels, on, on fiction, on books. So um, I also just think in terms of vocabulary and you're forced to think about things that you might not necessarily think about, use words that you might not necessarily use in everyday life. Um, and also, it's, I mean, I suppose it's one of the original forms of storytelling, of written storytelling anyway, you know, mm. after spoken, but um, I think it's important. I, for me, I just, I think, I, I find it's really important to, to consume as many different varieties of, um, of like storytelling narratives and yeah, things that stimulate me. I was actually going to say what, um, what, what's like something that you've been reading lately 
that you felt really sort of stimulated by or motivated by? Hmm. It's quite, honestly like for me, Jess, I can read a 300 page book and sometimes it's one line in it that I go, oh, wow. Hmm. Um, and I might find the rest of it problematic. Like I, um, I've been reading like a lot of Michel Foucault, who is like a French, oh yeah, was a French philosopher. Um, and there's a book called The History of Sexuality, which has been problematic um, for a number of reasons. And I'll leave that to whoever wants to. But there was one line in it where it says, um, you know, the past, the past practice of um, giving life or taking it has now been replaced by the power of being able to foster life or disallow it. And that for me, I was like, oh my, oh my God. I was like, you know, it was one of those lines where I'm just like, oh, and it just felt really, really relevant. Um, now, as I say, he's, he is a problematic character. There's, there's things that he said, which I don't know that I got that from them, but I've, I looked into it more because I was like, am I reading this right? Because um, obviously like, it's translated from French. Mm-hmm. And then also it was written like 30 years ago. So I, I read it and was like, some of this feels a bit questionable. Am I? So I had to look it up and be like, let me just be really sure that I'm, interpreting yeah yeah um but yeah my point being that one line i was like wow um and there's a couple of other lines but that one sticks out like um so i've been reading a lot of books about the history of uh, humanity at the minute i think down to what is obviously the, the current situation that we're in um globally and yeah i've been reading a lot of that a lot about rebellion <laughs> um and i'm actually trying to i'm actively now trying to seek out something a little bit lighter mm. it's interesting that you're drawn to that too in this isn't it it's like it's interesting well, for people... me it's like i need to understand it fully i need yeah. to understand how we got here um because it didn't happen overnight so my 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 like subconscious thought is okay. Well, I need to understand everything that plays into this, which is why I'm reading as many different things that are like even remotely connected. You know, like so the history of sexuality talks about the the inception of um, the repression of sexuality alongside capitalism. Wow. Um, and how bodies became like a um, a commodity in that, and it was necessary for them too. Wow, that's interesting. Um, so that for me is like, I, I find that important now because I'm like, okay, we're now at this point where the workforce is almost becoming redundant and, um, you know, people are very much overlooked, particularly like poor and uh, low income people, I should say. And yeah, it's, so that for me, I want to understand that element of it. And then, um, I'm trying to think, I've been reading so much. I was reading a book. Um, called Black uh, Black on Both Sides, which is like the history of trans and racial identity. Um, so yeah, everything that got us here, I'm like I'm like um, blanking now. I've been reading. No, but I, it's you know it's interesting. It's really interesting. What about? Um, I mean, we've discussed a little bit about um, things. That, have you watched anything that you feel like is shifted? So I've been rewatching. Again, it's very similar topics. So, but on, but he's one is my favorite documentary maker, um, Adam Curtis, mm-hmm. who is a British documentary maker, and he makes documentaries like nobody else does, in the sense that he he covers such a broad range, and he does that thing which I'm doing now. Like I'm saying, I try and 
I try and read every single thing that's even remotely connected. Right. Because it builds a bigger picture. And he does that within his documentaries. So you'll, you'll start and it's about one thing. Um, and then you find yourself going back to like the, you know, the beginning of a religion and you're like, wait, what? What does this? And then, you know, cut to 20 minutes later, it's like, which then led to this party and this act or this group forming, you know, and you're like, oh. Um, so he just does really thorough, like investi- investigative, like documentaries. Um, so I've, I've basically like redone all of his back catalog. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then also, you know, recognizing the need to sort of disconnect a little bit. I've started watching um, <laughs> Top Chef. <laughs> I've been to Top, Top Chef and I'm like, this is something that I would never watch normally. Um, and I've just sat, you know, I'm like eight seasons deep which I've never even seen before the, the, the pandemic. Um, and then find myself rooting for Steve from Texas. Oh, what is it about Steve from Texas? I don't know. I mean, that was just a, a generic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure there was a Steve from Texas. No, but I was just curious. I was like, you know, he's a top chef. So I just want, I mean, I, I've never. I just, I'm getting invested in like these shows that I know. And it's really interesting to watch as well. Talking again about how, I mean, it links, everything is connected in some way. Well, so it is. my big thing that I've, my takeaway, obviously binging a show like that from, from the beginning. Yes. The first two episodes were so, the first two seasons were so innocent. Right. And by season three, I was like, wow, this feels much more structured. And then, you know, it's the little disclaimer where it's like, some decisions were made by producers, didn't affect it, you know, and it's all like these disclaimers about how it's almost like, um, you know, like um, scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm noticing like story arcs. Now we're into season eight and nine. You know, they're trying to create stories between certain chefs and arguments, love interest. Um, oh, it's fascinating to watch like the development of reality, reality TV, TV. Yeah. yeah, and be able to see it um, in such close proximity. Um, no, I was like with reality. Um, okay, so look, I, look, I've gone through phases too where I've been into reality, not into reality. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, and so there's a couple of shows I'm a little bit addicted to. It's like. I'm a very much a RuPaul drag race kind of girl. Like I could watch RuPaul. Like, in fact, I think RuPaul was one of the smartest individuals because he apparently filmed like four shows last year, like RuPaul's UK, you know, like um, All Stars and the new season. So it's literally every time I flick it on, I'm like, oh, there's another RuPaul. Great. And it's just like banging out. But what I love so much about it is there's a sense of, whilst there's a sense of drama, there's, and that kind of stuff there's so much like vulnerability and truth, which is kind of the things that I love. Like I, I kind of either love reality for being so ridiculously over-dramatized, like a real housewives kind of thing, or I love something that's real and it's performers being real or something. I can't get into, um, I don't know, some of the more generic ones because there's just so much, there's so much reality. It just spews out. But um, okay. So, we covered, like, we covered books, we covered... See, my concern with that, I will say, I have to counter it and say, it concerns me about creating a false sense of what reality is. Mm, okay, interesting. Because we, we, like, we know that in the way the industry works. But even if you know, even if you understand how it works, you still buy into it. That's true. And we're still watching that thinking it's real. 
and they're not. They're, I mean, there's very few of them are now just turn on the cameras and see what we get. Oh no, the producers entirely yeah. spin. I mean, I one of one of my really good friends is is was on a reality TV show. Um, and she gave me some real insight because she was on it for quite a few years um, for like, a, I, I want to say probably about five years. And she would talk to me about the fact that the producers would come to her and be like, all right, so listen, if you, you know, this was said to you yesterday, if you can, you know, stir this up or do whatever, you know, we'll give you bonuses or, yeah. you know, if you're willing to talk about a specific topic, We'll give you bonuses. So they literally encourage them to spur. Now, even though some of the information can be true or not true, I mean, the the reality is that they're spurring it up to create a storyline. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, but I, but but there's always a human cost. I know. And this is this is what I've always struggled to get on board with. Because you know, I've had this conversation so many times. I've been like, oh, chill out. It's you know, but I need something that's you know, I don't have to think about, and it's like. But there's, there's a cost to it and there's people that are, are real people that are being put into false situations and then having to deal with the consequences in, in public. Yeah, I know. Um, I remember doing a TV show. It was a, a scripted, it was a drama show. But um, we were shooting at a studio in the UK. This was like 10, maybe a lot more years ago. And um, I smoked at the time. So I went outside for a cigarette and I'm, I was sort of semi-hidden, you know, like beside like a wall, like a little... Like um, like enclave, like in the in the, in the building, you know, you you just hide having a sick kind of thing. And um, I heard somebody speaking. I was like, oh, didn't think much of it. And then I heard her saying, so he said this about you. What are you gonna What are you gonna say? I was like, what is what is going on? Like, sounds weird. Sounds like someone being baited. And she's like, yeah, yeah, but he said this and he said this, and it was all like derogatory stuff, you know. I think you should go out there and speak to him and, and, and tell him that you're not willing to accept this. And I heard whoever it was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's guests on Jeremy Kyle. Oh. Which was like a talk. It was like um, okay. wow. sort of like a Jerry Springer-esque. Yes. Um, British. Um, but I was like, this, these are vulnerable people, people that have come here for help. But you know what's scary too, though, is a lot of people go on reality now because of the instant gratification that exists. I mean, I, this has actually been a really prevalent conversation because we've gone from such deep understanding of art and creativity and why that motivates us into like almost like the superficiality world of fame that exists in the current, it's still current climate, really. Yeah. You know, it hasn't shifted quite yet. But also that this instant like gratification, this instant validation that so many people seek with the idea of fame and what fame represents, mm -hmm. that they will go on these shows with the notion of make becoming famous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I will go on and I will do anything I can to become famous because becoming famous is going to mean like it's going to have a... Um, and I guess by doing any... Like, you know, doing anything to become famous... I, I just don't think people understand exactly like I said, there is a human cost, but I like, it's scary to me to think about how many people are willing to, to, to put that at cost, if that makes sense, you know, are willing to like give off a piece of themselves regardless of the outcome and not processing what it is that they're doing. And they're not actually doing it for the work. And that's kind of the thing that kind of bothers me. I think a little bit about our industry these days, or at least people that, you know, 
at, at least what I try to do when we train, like the actors we work with, I really try to shift mindsets around this. And it's like, cause you and I both know there are times when we're like, yes, great work. Everything's wonderful. And then we're like, shit, someone give me a job. Like someone like, you know what I mean? There's because it's just, we just don't yeah, know what's coming off. Yeah. Yeah. And so being a big sort of like, I don't know, like, you know, love of the work should be the, the driving force, not the instant gratification because the instant gratification lasts even less than the career itself. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not even necessarily like, um, like I don't, I don't need everybody to love, love doing what they do. Like I do, like, it's not even a, for me, it's just like, I don't think it values the people that go into it. And that's what my problem is with it. It's, I don't think anyone really wins. And I know there'll be a million people that give you stories of like financial success and well, no, this person did great. And, and I'm like, that's amazing. But is, is that really successful? Are they happy? Do they have anything that's their own anymore? Do they have any privacy? Like mm. you have to compromise or like sacrifice a part of yourself to do that. And it's like this weird, like world of like, it's, it's reality, but it isn't. It's like hyper reality. It's it's like reality with the saturation turned all the way up. And then how do you reconcile that with your real life afterwards? And I mean, it's not up to me to, I mean, that's probably sounds so holy than now. I'm like, well, I should, no, I, but I, why I, should I, I be worrying about, you know, do you know what I mean? And it's not in that sense. Mm. Like I don't even judge it. I understand why people do it, um, but it concerns me. And I think it really concerns me about like the way it affects young people now who think, you know, you go on YouTube and, and you know, young kids now want to be YouTubers and, um which is great you know i don't again that it, it's a it can be a you know it's a career it's for um but i don't know what that i don't know what that does to children in terms of like how they view themselves or the way they look and insecurities have always been present you know prevalent it's not like it's like um reality tv has suddenly made people doubt the way they doubt themselves mm but well, it amplifies it, no 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 it definitely and, it definitely does and i think it's often sewed on you know you've got people you know families who do these reality shows um <laughs> i have watched a few of, reality family of, shows in my time i always i always felt that i honestly did believe that if if someone had put a camera on my family we could have made a fortune and you would have done it I, I, we would have done, done it, it yeah. we would have done it yeah i mean but you know it's like the, i mean basically the business is the business that business model is appropriate repackage resell with an extra dash of insecurity and that's wow what, that's what i my, love how you phrase that then that's so interesting and that's why i have it like i don't i don't begrudge somebody like grafting or hustling but again i'm, I'm repeating myself no it's a cost and i think yeah. the cost is far greater than we really understand and, and i think that that is why i get really worried and I think particularly for black women, I think, you know, it's black women are often sort of stolen from and then sewed, sewed their, their characteristics back with insecurities attached and stipulations and without any credit. That's interesting. Um, Can I ask on, on that, have you... Uh, have you ever done a role where you feel like there was something that was it cost for you? Like something that you actually had to. Um, 
No, I've never. I've never. There's been roles that have come in that I've, would mean that I would possibly like compromise myself morally, and I've never done. I've not done them. You know, like the stuff that would have been financially very beneficial, and even though it was real, you know, I would better grappled with it and was like, oh, I don't know. Deep down in my gut, I knew that I would be desperately unhappy if I'd taken it. And mm. it, no amount of money would have met, assuaged that. Um, so thankfully, I'm very grateful. And I'm, I've not always flourished, but you know, there's times when I've definitely, and I also, can I just add, I don't believe in this. I don't think, I think it's like um, a really damaging myth that you, you need to be a struggling artist. I, I oh yeah, I no, I agree. I agree. I don't want to be struggling. Um, <laughs> but I also don't think that, I, I think, I'm lucky that I'm able to do a job that I love. And I think with that, it means that um, I've done it for a long time. So I've definitely had periods of, like, like we said, famine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm at a point where I'm, I'm, I can appreciate that it's not always great. And I'm, I'm prepared to sort of stick to what I believe in. Mm. I don't think there's any greater cost than like selling a part of yourself. Because you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get it back. And no amount of money can ever, like, make up for that or, um, or like, numb that feeling of, like, a loss. Like, I'm, you're constantly mourning a part of yourself. And for me, that's that's not a life I want to lead. Mm, um, so I feel really lucky true. and really proud that every, everything I've done professionally, I'm, like, I'm really proud of that. And it, it's for different reasons. Some of them might not necessarily have been critically like, but, you know, for what at that time, it was like, no, I, I wanted to do that. And... I don't ever feel like I had to do something. I did something that I didn't want to. Um, not professionally, anyway. There's, I've definitely, you know. Which I th- no, but I think that that's important advice. I think that's important advice for human beings as well. You, you do. You, I mean, look, I we talk a lot about in this, or I do anyway, get delving into stuff that we do as an artist. And I think that's definitely one of the things that you and I are drawn to is as friends as well as creatives, you know, and self-help and understanding ourselves. But in life, you're constantly searching for the pieces that are lost and trying to put them back together. So it's like, I think if that becomes something that you do within your creativity and if that becomes something that you do in your art, it's an even bigger risk because of that, you know, but at the same time, and I'm being honest with myself and because that's me, I'm always honest. I don't know if I was presented with an opportunity to do something like that. Would I, would I say no? I mean, I guess for me too, I look at, I think now, and especially as this podcast develops or different things, I see myself as uh, in ways like similar to like a public figure or host or something. So the idea of being myself as a, to me, that's, that's okay. But maybe that's because part of my journey of self-discovery is the fact that I've kind of hid that for so long thinking I was going to lose something. And now it's like I I was losing it for me. I think this is where I'm at in my life. I felt like I kind of lost regardless. I actually think I've lost more from hiding that part. Whereas now that I'm kind of stepping out and kind of being like, yeah, this is it. This is me. This is everything that comes with it. I'm gaining something back in a weird way that I didn't think that I could before, but this just might be my journey. I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like that. Well, I think if you, I mean, if I heard this, I've heard this right. I might have misinterpreted. If you're, if you're like dismissing a part of yourself, or drowning out a part of yourself, then you're only going to do yourself damage. Yes. So even if you think it's beneficial at the time, it's not because that build up 
it's it's like you're denying a, a piece of who you are yes um and how can you love yourself if you won't acknowledge all of yourself like how, <laughs> do you get what i'm saying like, yeah no no so begin, real how do you even begin to love all of you if you're pretending that there's parts of you that aren't there like that, yeah um or that or that there's parts of you that you feel a lacking in some way as opposed to you know what i mean i mean this is what it's like that because my last one, it's been coming up, but not this idea of about being I am enough. And I spoke about it in my um, previous podcast, but it's like the words I am enough hold so much power and yeah. so many people don't feel enough. So they'll make decisions, like I said, and I, I love what you say about being strong in those things and not losing a part of yourself because a lot of people don't feel like they're enough and that's why they make their choice. Yeah. But I'm saying what's interesting is I think if you, start to realize that part of finding out that you are enough is actually stepping into that space. Is it's a, it's a different feeling. And I don't think that's for everybody, by the way, I'm actually agreeing with yeah. you. I think there's a lot of people that do those shows, the instant gratification, the things that we're talking about to try and they're looking feel, for something else. Yes. Yeah. They're trying to feel like they're enough. They're yeah. trying to feel that whole. Um, but then I think some people, I would say Oprah would be one that I would say is like, you're going to sneeze. That's not the most delicate <laughs> that was the, that was a very polite sneeze thank you yeah no no gesundheit <laughs> <laughs> um but like oprah would be one you know she it became her space to actually step into and it was a positive for her to reveal herself to reveal herself and i don't and i think that that's it's an interesting thing and i don't believe it's for everybody but i think it's a it's a power and i think it's something that every creative um, needs to work out, you know, am I doing things because I'm missing something or am I missing something and I need to do things to actually. Yeah. Well, I don't think just creatives. I think that's people. That's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that is the, the battle of life, isn't it? It's trying to find, find out whether you lack him or you, you're in a, but like you, you've got too much of something and finding that balance that like we spend our whole lives trying to, and I'm constantly like balancing the books, like, you know, cause things change, people change, people come in and out of our lives and they shift the energy. And, um, you know, I know, for example, I mean, 10 years ago, I went and sat and, and done this with you. Cause I would have, I used to be like very staunchly like, I don't do like, I don't want to be into, I don't want to be a, a, a known person beyond like my work. Like I didn't want to be heard. I didn't, despite, I've always been opinionated, but I was like, but the world doesn't need to hear that. The world doesn't need to hear what I think. Um, and I still am, you know, to some extent, like I, I still, I'm some, somewhat like reticent to in interviews. Generally, I'm just like, I, I look, you know me, I love to talk and I, I love to engage with people. But for me, I'm like, I don't need, I don't necessarily feel the need to, um, to speak to the world. <laughs> and, you know, and I know that's a, a mm -hmm. this isn't the world as such, but, um, I'm not, I'm not a public speaker. I'm an actor. So that's, I see myself as an actor mm -hmm. amongst other things, but like, um, and I don't know that as an actor, I need, I need my, my own personal voice to be heard. Um, you know? Mm -hmm. I, no, I, I, I do because I, you're just saying everything that this podcast was for me. Cause I literally, I sign off by saying, thanks for letting me be heard. Because I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm, 
well, I actually think that I'm more than an actor. And I think this has been my biggest realization about myself. And mm -hmm. I think I'm really okay with that. For the first time in my life, I'm like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a creative. I'm a storyteller. I'm an engager. I, I, I'm a philanthropist. I want to help. Like there's so much more I want to do in the world and my, and, and life. And, and I love that you say that. Cause I think this is what I've made this journey or this podcast about, or even what we're doing in my course right now is not that we all need to be on that same level. It's who are you and what do you need and what do you want and, and being okay with going on that trajectory, wherever that may take you yeah. to find your place of success, not the success that you compare to everyone else around you, but your ideal point of success, you know, peace. Yeah. I also think in a world where everyone is shouting, I'm okay just listening and like taking that in and being like, okay. Um, and who knows in two years, I might be like, everyone needs to hear what I've got. So, you know, <laughs> you all won't listen. <laughs> <laughs> like, follow, subscribe. <laughs> it is, you're locking your down. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I write poetry. I um, do. And for the longest time, I would only read it to people. Like, I wouldn't share it on any of my, like, you know, platforms or um and people are like well why, why are you writing it i'm like for me like and if i can help somebody great if somebody i know gets something from it which you know they were and that was what my friends were like really you need to share this and it's only very recently that i'm like okay i'm willing to share it um because for me it was catharsis it was it was what i did to understand things that i or not even understand things that i understood but still hadn't quite been able to um let go of yeah um so that was why i initially i mean i'd always written and poetry was just another an extension of that and it's only very recently that i'm going okay actually i want to share it with people now i want everybody to read it everybody needs to read it right now <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah so now i'm like thinking about that's what i was saying earlier off the podcast when we met up um you know, I'm going to try and put together a manuscript now because I've got, I've got hundred plus, more probably closer to like 200 um, poems. That would be, I, that is incredible. So I just want to do like a little, you know, just a taster at first, just a little like 20, 20 poems or something like a chapbook. Um, but it's weird, it's weird, the poetry world is very sort of um, insular, you know, it's like, it's really hard to break into. It's very clicky. Um, so yeah, so I'm like, well, okay, it's probably likely going to have to be like a self-published thing. And I will probably be whoring it. <laughs> like a reality star. <laughs> we'll catch you down at Hollywood Boulevard with a yeah. camera. <laughs> no. Um, so final, final thoughts, final thoughts. What, you know, um, it's been a really deep chat and I love, and this is, I'm so happy to have you on here for this. Cause I think that, I love hearing your voice. I love your energy. I love what you, I think you have so many profound and incredible things to say. And I love when people get to hear you because I know that you inspire me. So that's, um, but I would, yeah. I mean, what would you say to anyone listening? Would there be something that you could say um, that you feel is just a message that, that, you know, that is something that's really synonymous with you that you could share with people listening? Um. I said this to my friend last week and I did, it was something that I said really like off the cuff 
and she was like i needed to hear that but it's i vote like nothing is wasted um we were talking i think possibly about a relationship or something and i was like nothing is wasted and only if you want it to be um i've always been very astute and i've always worked really hard to, to like um make every experience beneficial which sounds very like new age and you know and i also appreciate that sometimes you're not in the mindset where you can do that and sometimes it's been six months later that i've been able to you know i've mm -hmm. had to i've had to dwell on something i'll sit in it um but everything that happens you can make worthwhile um so yeah it's a it, yeah it's it's very um new agey no you i'm but, so yeah, with nothing, Lewis, you nothing, know. nothing is wasted that's one thing that like a simple sentence that i think is important for me um And yeah, just trust yourself. I think I think trusting yourself is really important. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And my big one of the big things that shifted for me, I, I, I felt like I'd done a lot in my life anyway and been fairly fearless. But then we all have periods, um, you know, certain traumas, whatever. Like circumstances alter us, they change us make us bent out you know bent out of shape i'm like and i had a breakup a few years ago which you know about um and it was the it was the most beautiful relationship I've ever i've ever had in in adulthood um and the most definitive of my of my life without doubt um but one of the things that i did as soon as i i came out of it and was so raw in pain but the big thing that i did was like i need to make every choice out of love because when you make them out of fear that's when things start to go wrong um and it, i only ever said it once to myself but then i used to write it on list honestly jess i'd have these lists where and i even wrote a poem about writing lists <laughs> but I, i'd have these lists where it'd be like buy buy egg you know whatever chicken milk make choices out of love you know order dad's birthday cat you know it was like these weird little affirmations mixed in with just like get bread um but yeah make choices out of love because fear is like a really dangerous place to be in mm -hmm. and whilst it's going to definitely be there at times don't make a choice in it because that's when all my all my my like wayward journeys have, have come out of choices made in fear i could not agree with you anymore and um and on that note I'm going to leave that with everyone and let that sit with everyone. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. It has been. I've loved it. Um, and uh, to all of you out there, this is uh, Jessica Orchick signing out. And thanks for letting me be heard.